Hello and welcome to session seven of the Massage Matters podcast with us, the Massage Collective. Myself, Matt Scarsbrook, Anna Maria Mazzieri, and Becky Demott Horton. So this week we have had the absolute pleasure of having Jo Turner come and visit us in the Metaphorical Studio where she's been enlightening us on her work as a life coach predominantly working with uh, people in the healthcare profession and today we spend uh, time reflecting away from the clinic and more at the clinician and looking at what it means to really wind down at this time of year the fact that we need to take a little bit of space a little bit of time particularly at the end of 2020 after all the uh, roller coaster year that it has been we need to be able to celebrate our wins and we talk a little bit about the backwards planning process that joe is pretty fond of um and uh, a little bit of uh, insight into the difference between mentoring and coaching so sit back and enjoy this podcast it's an absolute cracker and we'll see you on the other side Okay, so Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, for those of you who haven't yet come across Joe uh, and her, was it three appearances so far on Chewing It Over? Three Probably. <laughs> I, which does make you the, uh, the, the highest returner. I'm not sure if that's the right word. But uh, anyway, for people who haven't met you, uh, you're a physio. Uh, a Pilates instructor, um, but predominantly now, as well as a clinic owner, you're a life coach. That's right. Uh, and, and, and helping people predominantly in, in healthcare professions. Um, so one of the things really we wanted to, to ask you to come on and talk today, particularly being that we're now so close to Christmas and so close to that kind of classic end of year, um, but it's by no means been a classic end of year um is is how massage therapists in particular can can look about trying to look after themselves uh, uh and look at their what they're going to be doing next year in a sort of a nice kind compassionate way to take into account the fact that they uh, have had a fairly rough year of it um so Joe, do you want to start by giving us a, a, a bit more depth to your background, if you think it's appropriate, and then um, and then we can sort of start talking about what it is your areas of focus at the moment with people. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, thanks for the intro. Yeah, the life coaching is quite a recent thing in terms of me formally delivering coaching, but it feels like it's been um, something that's grown over probably. Ooh, the last two thirds of my now 24 year long career. Um, and it really started through my interest in pain management. And the reason I relate it to that is that um, that was the first point at which I started to realize that the complexity of factors that can feed into not only pain, but you know, someone's well-being generally. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit abstract from where I am now, but I guess that's where my mind started to stray a little bit from the mainstream, so we say. Um, and then uh, years went on. I, I continued to practice um, broadly as an MSK therapist, but I've owned or co-owned a clinic for the last 10 years, and it's quite a large clinic, so we get... Um, young therapists coming through and I conduct a lot of the one-to-ones and on reflection I was spending a lot of my time informally coaching the people that work for me um, often the conversation would start around what course do you think I should do next and very quickly it would um, progress on to how you're doing generally where do you want to be what what is it you actually want out of your career how fulfilled are you and um, I certainly enjoy working with people in that way and I, I feel that the well-being of the people that work for me is part of my responsibility as a, as a business owner. And I guess I have a natural bent towards that kind of care with my patients as well. So a couple of years ago, I found this organisation called One of Many. Um, I spent first, the first year with them just indulging in lots of personal self-development. And it was fantastic to do something that wasn't directly clinical, relate, clinically related. Um, and that led on to a coaching qualification. And I guess it always made the most sense to me to try and 
feed that back into my life as a physio. Um, and so you know, now what I'm doing is, is applying those coaching skills to help support physios and healthcare workers, which includes massage therapists, to look after themselves whilst they're looking after everybody else. Do you think that was something that's, um, or, you know, obviously you've worked in various settings as well, Joe, both NHS mm. and, and the clinic you mentioned. Do you think that's something that's generally missing from development of caring professionals, if you like? Their their development is around um, developing their skills or their knowledge and, and there's kind of a, we miss that self-development out a little bit? I do, yeah. I don't think it's conscious. Um, quite rightly, the, the education we receive is around how we practically deliver care to other people. Um, I personally think that it would be a good idea to start right back at training level to introduce some kind of self-care practices alongside how you look after other people. Um, and I think it's also a little bit uh, part of the makeup of people that go into caring professions. Um, there's, I, I don't know where this belief comes from, but you know, trust me, I've, I've held it to that um, somehow the more you look after yourself, the more it detracts from your care for somebody else. Um, but you know, I think more and more we're finding that uh, the, the relationship that you have with your client, you two, two therapists could deliver exactly the same piece of care or sorry, episode of care. Even the same therapist could deliver the same episode of care a different time in the year and how that therapist is in themselves at the point at which they engage in that relationship can significantly affect the outcome of treatment um, and I think we we need to turn that belief on its head in that in actual fact if we don't look after ourselves that is more likely to diminish the care that we deliver to our clients um, you know and, and we could debate further how far you you take the process of self-development to be for the benefit of other people because you've got to be careful that you don't just feed into that <laughs> belief even more. You are actually allowed to look after yourself for your own self as well. Um, but I, I think it is a, um, it's a particularly common trait amongst people that are drawn to caring professions such as ours. It's a nice, nice time to, uh, to throw in, I suppose, a little analogy that I use myself uh, and for the people who've been listening to us and, and, and catching up with us know that I've got a, a history of mental health um, challenges myself and and one of the key uh, analogies I suppose that that I talk about and, and Joe you and I have spoken about previously is it, it is um, to, to sort of think about that card that sits in the seat in front of you uh when you're on an aircraft and it's going you know the safety card and as you go through and it's telling you how to fit your seat belt and your life jacket when the oxygen masks drop down it's very very clear you should fit your own mask first and the reason you should fit your own mask first is because if you're not capable of looking after yourself you're certainly not capable of looking after anyone else you know if you're if you're in trouble because you've not fitted your mask first and then there's just two of you who are in trouble then um and so for me that that idea that you should look after yourself and, and I, I like your point there joe and i think it probably goes further you're allowed to look after yourself for yourself <laughs> you should absolutely uh, be looking after yourself if you're also aiming to look after your clients yes yeah, the oxygen mask analogy is, is used a lot, isn't it, and quite appropriately. Um, and I think also when you are not looking after yourself, your your ability to perceive how you come across to other people diminishes as well. So not even that you are showing up differently, your your perception of that is, is less as well, I think. You, you, I think your ability to self-evaluate definitely is is yeah. affected, isn't it, when you're not... That it's it's so interesting the point you make and it's so true. I mean, my my background is in in an NHS environment and there there is without having any evidence of this something about those types of people that are altruistic by nature, aren't they? That yeah. seem to think it's self indulgent to do anything other than care for somebody else. To that, I mean, I've seen people just work themselves into the ground because to do anything but look after somebody else is seen as a luxury and a self-indulgence and mm. it's it's so true and it's not until somebody like yourself actually sits there and points it out that you go 
Oh gosh, yeah, that is what we all do, isn't it? And maybe it's taking the philosophy a bit too far, but you know, altruism, you know, the debate isn't there, is there any any such thing as true altruism? Um, If we go deeply into it, I think we'd also all admit that there's a process of in caring for other people and the feedback that you get from that, that's where you get your, um, your sense of achievement and purpose. And, you know, yes, that is a useful thing, but you, you're going back to look after yourself for your own self. You're allowed to fill up your own cup as well, not just keep chucking out to other people in the hope that you'll get enough back to sustain yourself. Yeah. And I suppose there's a, there's a danger there as well, that if you, um, as an individual stake all your value on helping other people or or the reaction that you get from other people when you help them then it's it's there's a kind of self-esteem issue there I guess around Mm. you know actually being having self-efficacy to have that value of your your own self without Mm. that constant helping everybody out and the reaction you get from that it's um yeah, it's fascinating you, when you, you start to think about control it. that anyway, can you? That's yeah, an external exactly. thing that you're relying on, which is inconsistent. And as we know, you know, we've all got these stories of, oh, the patient you bend over backwards for and you, you, know, you, you think, oh, you've done a brilliant job there. They're just like, yeah, cheers, off they go. And then someone you think you've, you know, oh, it wasn't great today and that didn't go so well. Yeah, I don't know, 12 bottles of wine. <laughs> Not allowed to do that anymore, are we? Definitely hasn't happened yet in my clinic. Hint, hint, clients. Um, <laughs> But it's not in your control, is it? Whereas, no. Your... Sorry, yeah, no, it's it's sorry to interrupt. Uh, a bit of a, a glitch there, but um, no, I I I think it speaks importantly to what what as massage therapists we we probably ought to be doing, or healthcare professionals ought to be doing generally anyway. Um, I think something that's been particularly uh, key this year is the fact that 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 sense of altruism has then been bashed about or seems to feels like we've been bashed about a little bit uh, through the handling of the, the coronavirus pandemic, which, you know, let, let's not get too, too deep into that. It is a kind of hopefully once in a lifetime kind of event. However, unfortunately, from a massage therapist perspective, there has been some pretty poor use of language and some, some restrictions have been placed uh, on on massage therapists because of their sort of perceived position, I suppose, within within private healthcare, um, which has sort of meant that they felt a bit beaten up and bashed about a bit, <laughs> um, and it, you know it doesn't help when there is quite public demonstration of you know massage parlours and and the, you know poor terminology and a sort of almost it feels like a lack of recognition from the world at large of of what it is that you know therapists are trying to do when they work with their clients and I think you know that that is in that's very particular for this year and 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 therapists as we get towards the end of the year and I think we'll come on a a little bit shortly to talk about kind of ideas that you've got around what, what what perhaps we should be doing at this time of year to kind of help look after ourselves but I think therapists also have and 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 think this speaks to all private practitioners as well as NHS actually is that you get exposed to clients who have backstories that are also very emotionally draining. Um, And, you know, we're not counsellors, but that still doesn't stop the client in front of us telling us a story that actually, if you're trying to be empathetic with that client, can be really tough on you as a therapist, actually. Um, And it reminds me of 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 a point you made, and I think it was whilst you were talking to Jack, around this this minister that you saw um mm. and do, do you mind just expanding on 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 that point yeah it was a story i was telling um about when i was a very junior physio working in um in london and i was treating a minister and um i don't actually recall that his case was particularly um draining for me but he was he was just asking me about my work and he made some comment to the effect of where do you go for your sabbatical or your retreat? And I just looked blank and, and said, what are you talking about? Um, and he said, well, you, you must get that kind of some space to download and, and, and retreat. And I said, no, just, just carry on. And he was absolutely amazed. You know, he, he said, but you're, you're working all day, every day, as you say, Matt, listening to 
people's stories and troubles and, and um, you know whether or not you can come up with a solution for them you're you're absorbing them and he was he was really surprised and um, quite upset for us as a profession that we didn't have that that kind of system in place and, and that support um, and just going back to your earlier points Matt I um, I have uh, massage therapists working uh, for me and my co-director at the clinic and yeah I, I have been horrified on your behalf um, at the language used. Um, what's been lovely in our clinic actually is that uh, it's a multidisciplinary clinic, clinic and all of us physios, chiros, reception team, you know, we've been really supportive um, and there's been a lot of uh, conversation within our WhatsApp groups and things like that to just really try and um, reassure our therapists that that absolutely is not how we see them and I, I personally think it was not really, but just about forgivable the first time, but there must have been feedback. And when it came through in the second lockdown as well, that I was really disappointed for you guys. I think that yeah. was a real kick in the teeth because I think everybody had felt we'd made a little bit of progress, albeit, mm. albeit baby steps, but yeah. And to, it, it was, it was a bit of a kick in the teeth. What, um, I'd be really interested to know, obviously it's, it's a massive thing to get into, but, but briefly, if you, if you can, what, what would be your advice to therapists for, for dealing with that and for dealing with that kind of, as Matt mentioned, that lack of recognition they felt this year and maybe that, um, assault on their profession almost. Mm. Well, Actually, Becky, I'll refer back to um, something I heard you say, I think <laughs> you were talking to Jack as well when you said this. Um, you were talking about how the, the pandemic has almost brought uh, all of you massage therapists out of the woodwork. Um, yeah. And it's happened in physio as well, for sure. Um, and almost made it a necessity to create these environments where you can share your stories and talk to each other. Um, and it's almost like we've never had to defend much before, but now we have. And, and that's quite a unifying cause. Um, you know, I think it's such a shame that you have to do it. But um, I, my advice would be start by supporting each other and reach out to the, the allied health professions that you tend to work alongside. Because you know, if, if my clinic is a, a small little test case, you absolutely are supported by the professionals you work alongside and the ones you support. Um, yeah, talk about it first. Um, and I think, and again, it's, it's happening in physio. It strikes me that um, you know, if other people don't understand our identity, we're obviously not talking about it enough. And if we're not talking about it enough, is that because we don't understand it enough ourselves? And I think maybe if you can see it as an opportunity to start defining what you do better and establishing um, more unified ways of talking about your professions. Um, yeah, but start start by talking to each other about it, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and what I'm, I must admit, I'm really pleased about uh, sort of as an observer, I suppose, of the industry at large is actually how well people have come together, you know, mm. for the evils that are social media and the, the the life drain that they can be, they've also been a bit of a godsend uh, at times. And, you know, some of the groups that have cropped up um, as a result of COVID or some of the groups who maybe have swelled in numbers, um, you know, were there before, but perhaps have swelled in numbers. The number of therapists sharing information, helping each other out, um, it, it feels like it's broken down a lot of barriers that might have existed before around things like fear of competition. You know, don't, you know, you don't want to share kind of business related info because actually, you know, what they nick my clients kind of, but actually that seems to have fallen away, uh, you know, quite significantly. Uh, and people are, you know, I, I lurking around on some of the forums you see people sharing some really nice stories both in terms of how they feel right now be it very high or really low and then people stepping in to either congratulate or commiserate and yeah. and actually, uh, sort of support there's a lot of emotional support at the moment out there which is lovely to see. yes there's a lot of compassion just coming through isn't there and it's, it's almost like we've been given permission to express that to each other yeah. Um, which again is you know not an avenue that it was all been going to our clients, hasn't it? And we probably do inherently feel compassion for each other, but we haven't had a situation where it's particularly 
had to support each other in this way and I, and I think it's almost like a dam has been opened and we're quenching a thirst that we didn't even know we had before yeah and I've I've heard from a lot of massage therapists in particular um that actually they felt very isolated before this and I think that's quite typical is that you know we've we've said before a lot of people come to soft tissue therapy massage therapy later in life as a vocational training course they do go through their training and then they go and set up their business and that's it unless you go and work in a mostly disciplinary clinic or a clinic where there's a number of therapists you you are very much on your own and and feel a little bit isolated and like you've got no colleagues so I think you know that's something that I've heard a lot from therapists and and hopefully this is a change that that might see the end of that feeling of isolation Mm. I hope I'd probably take that just one step further and actually say even in a multidisciplinary clinic yeah uh, it's quite common or at least my experience has been it's quite common to find yourself all behind closed doors because of the nature of our job um and you know it's been lovely listening to to joe actually and in various instances describe how she's brought the team together and how the team's responded in your own clinics joe to almost try and uh, intentionally or otherwise but remove this idea that actually you're all sort of just passing each other you know ghost passing in the night kind of thing uh, because actually you're just behind the closed door all day yes absolutely yeah a lot of a lot of good coming out of a really hard situation i think so let's look kind of forward ish <laughs> uh so it's obviously very nearly christmas uh and with this time of year obviously we tend to start if we haven't already uh it won't be long before people start thinking well what am i doing next year how am i going to uh generally the 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 theme is be better uh to grow to in some way exceed the year before and i must admit that um whilst i totally get it 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 totally wound me up when i was in a, a sales job because it's like hang on i just bust my backside putting my targets this year and now you've added five percent for next year but but obviously you know that is sort of the nature of things but under normal circumstances people perhaps don't often take enough time at this time of year to reflect to slow down to touch base and and perhaps this year more than many before is a is a time that that sort of is required so what kind of what kind of processes would you be going through at this time of year? What kind of things might might you be recommending that your your therapists, your clients might be considering at this time of year? Sure. Well, you know, let's let's pretend this is a normal year. Um, even in a normal year at this time, I would be advising my clients um, to to follow what the season is doing. So, you know, whether you're a nature lover or not, you can't um, help but notice that things are slowing down outside out there. Um, I, I do spend lots of time in nature and it's one of my you know, real needs. So, so I will talk about it in that way. So we're definitely the end of autumn going into winter. And it's a time, it's a time of year where everything is slowing down. And I use the phrase going back to the earth. So there's a period of time of recovery. Um, and even in a normal year, um, you will probably have been going at things pretty hard. You know, we come at the summer holidays and, and you know, the school term feels like a new start. You often start new projects then. And I think late summer, early autumn is, is often a very active time. Um, and there is a temptation to keep to keep going. And then this concept of new year gets thrown at you as well, not thrown at you, it's, it's in everybody's head, but the, the media often will, will throw all these new year things at you very early. And yeah, there's this um, sort of notion that right now, ramp it up again, off we go again. And you, you can't just keep upping and upping and upping. You've got to find some point at which you stop, replenish and make yourself ready for, for the next, um, next period of work. Um, if you don't mind me going off a little side alley, uh, a mentor and good friend of mine, Joe Martin, told this lovely metaphor story, which I'll, I'll paraphrase for, for time. But essentially, uh, she talked about this expedition leader. He took an expedition out to uh, a volcano in South America. And the idea was to uh, hire a local team with Sherpas and the work needed to be done near the mouth of the volcano. 
so this group set off and they they walked through the foothills and up the sides of the volcano for, for days on end really hard walking and the sherpa was leading the way and then they literally got within sight of the um, summit of the volcano and the sheriff said, right, now we're going to stop and set up camp here. And it was only midday that day. And the leader of the expedition is going, what are you talking about? Now I can see the, can see the top of the volcano. We're not stopping now. Come on, we've got work to do. And the, uh, the sheriff says, yes, yes, we have the work, but we don't have the energy for the work yet. We've been walking hard for days now. We've done well. But what we need to do now is sit and rest and wait for our souls to catch up. Oh, that's lovely, isn't <laughs> it? Isn't that beautiful? And I, keep, I think that's a lovely analogy for this time of year. You know, give your soul a little bit of time to catch up because you need your soul for whatever it is you're, you're planning in the new year. Now, just to go back to the fact that this isn't a normal year, and particularly from what I understand has been going on for massage therapists, where... You know, because of circumstances, you may you have may have this little voice saying to you, "Well, you've done less work than normal, so you know you, you've had that shed a bit of free time physically. You haven't done as much as you normally do." But goodness me, your brain has been working like Billy. I imagine if it's anything like mine, um, you know, months and months and months of taking the information, assimilating it, working out what to do, putting it into practice. Then it changes again, so you start the process again. The mental load this year has been absolutely exhausting. So my advice would be first acknowledge that, you know, and really acknowledge it. Don't just go, oh yeah, it was really tough. Yeah, yeah, really tough. You know, actually take yourself through what you what you've had to think through and work out. Um, and this winding down process this year particularly might need to be more of a mental winding down. Allow yourself that time to just stop trying to work everything out. And at the moment, stop trying to think about next year. Just finish this one off before you think about the next one. Yeah, that's that's such an important point, Joe. And I I was guilty of it myself. And I was, I in October, funnily enough, before before the second lockdown was announced, I was exhausted. And I was thinking to myself, oh, I could really do with a week off. And then I started thinking, what are you talking about? You had four months off, you know, and you start beating yourself up for being lazy. And and then I was like. I didn't have four months off at all. <laughs> like I had no idea how I was going to pay the bills. And I was, I was worried about money and I was worried about my family and I was worried about my job and my business. And it wasn't, and I've said that to various therapists that have said the same thing. It wasn't four months off at no. all. It was four months of intense pressure and stress. And yes, you might not have been doing your, your, your normal work, but it, goodness, it wasn't a rest at all. And, and again, coming back to that, not falling into the trap of thinking it's self-indulgent. There is certainly nothing self-indulgent at the moment about saying, do you know what? I just, I just need a break from, mm. from think, like you say, from thinking. Yeah, I can't, the, I can't remember which forum it was in. It might have been Sports Injury Fix. Um, but a question was asked either just before lockdown ended or just at uh, the first lockdown or just after it ended. I remember it was about that period anyway. And the question generally was asked, um, what did you what did you enjoy over that period? What do you wish you'd done more of sort of thing? And actually, the number one I wish I had done was take a break. Yeah. Um, because in that first period, it was just like, I need to rescue my business that requires that I'm face on with people. Um, and the number one response was take a break. And I swore to my wife that if there was another lockdown, I'd take a break. Mm. And lockdown number two was uh, arranged. And what was the first thing we did? Lockdown lunches every single day, which <laughs> was amazing. I, I, oh, I'm so glad we did it. They were brilliant. But it didn't count as a break. And, um, you know, even now, uh, post second lockdown, I, I made the decision I wasn't opening clinic again until the new year because I just didn't need the additional stress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I'll be really looking forward to get back to my clients when I reopen. But it's that first kind of, for me, it's that first stage of wind down. I can't come to a complete stop uh, no. because I'll, I'll, just blame us I'll, I'll be like oh no I, I can't possibly do it but i can possibly wind down a bit my dad used to refer to it and um still does uh as uh, fire gazing time mm, uh, oh, yeah. kind of time <laughs> where you're just staring at the flames letting just life wash over you let your mind kind of go where it needs to go um without judgment without worry 
and, and more importantly, without a screen in front of it, I think. <clears throat> no, you're right. It needs to be done in phases. And I think, um, again, going back to what we were saying earlier about therapists, it, it's quite triggering for anyone in a caring profession to think about doing less. Um, and winding down doesn't actually necessarily mean that. I mean, I, I've got the most annoying monkey brain on the planet and I can't just make it say less. I've got to do something active. And, you know, for me, meditation is an active conscious choice that I have to do um, to make my brain change gear. I can't just go, oh, yeah, great. I've got a day off. So uh, I'm going to wind down because my brain will go, oh, but you could redecorate the bathroom and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I have to I have to bring in some other active activity, active activity um, to replace what I was doing before. I, I can't just go, yes, let's let's go down a gear and, and it'll all be fine. Oh, sorry, Becky. I was going to say, no, the, the first time you and I met, um, we decided to get out and we went for a walk around an arboretum. Uh, yes. And that was, our, that was our first meeting in the chat. And, and actually, it was lovely. It wasn't work, but it was work. Yeah, even in the rain, <laughs> and, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> and you made that point on uh, when I heard you on Jack as well, that which I think is really important, is you, you said about you, you've worked to identify what are your must-do things for your own... Mm well-being and I think can you can you talk a little bit about that because I think that was I found that really useful yeah it's um so it's a very personal thing um and when I'm working with clients I take them through this process of identifying their needs um so if you if you don't fulfill your basic needs and when I was talking with Jack I was explaining that we're talking here about getting yourself to an okay state, not deliriously happy, um, joyous, swinging from the rafters. It's just, I'm all right, you know, life's ticking along quite well. Um, if you don't know what gets you to that state and you perpetually function slightly below that okay line, and then you do a profession that requires you to be generous and give out to people, you are gonna have to fill that pot with something. And I talked about this notion of desires, which gets a bad rep sometimes, sometimes as if, you know, desire is, is a dreadful thing. But in this context, um, the point I was making was that if you don't fulfill your needs pot with the things that you regularly can can do, you're going to turn to desires. And it might be alcohol. It might be over exercise. It might be overeating, whatever. And something that could be a joyous, pleasurable thing like uh, a piece of chocolate just becomes something you chuck in your mouth you don't even taste it um it, it's the, the basic need in that case might have been sleep okay but because you're tired you go for a sugar hit and yes it fulfills it it changes that state for that moment but it isn't the need that you were lacking that sleep was the one that you needed um and so yeah that, what i was talking to jack about was identifying your set of five or six criteria that will keep you ticking over and okay so i've already explained one of mine is nature and literally i have to be out in nature every single day even if it's 15 minutes you know i prefer more than that but um and it's funny in that i don't even remember that i need it until the moment where i step out in the door i step out of the door with the morning with the dog and then oh yeah yeah my basic needs um but i would i would avoid that walk at seven o'clock in the morning every day if if i was listening to my logic mind but having identified that that is one of my needs it's now just a, a thing that i do um and another one of mine is creativity so you know we all work in largely science-based professions um if i don't allow the creative side of my brain to play every now and then I get very frustrated and a little depressed and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm not okay. Um, other obvious ones, sleep, good food, stuff like that. But the point is, um, you need to spend some time working out what your particular set of basic needs are. And then the hard thing is actually making yourself fulfill them. But it's to get yourself to that point where you're okay. And then if you can give yourself a little bit more, you've then got something to give. Whereas if you start giving from okay, then the only place to go is, is lower. Yeah. It's a little bit, uh, you could, you could draw kind of analogies to, um, I think you might've done even, it might've been you I'm quoting Joe, this is terrible, isn't it? But, but essentially, you know, this, this idea of, um, uh, tissue capacity, 
uh, before before injury. Um, that you know, tissue has a capacity before things start to go wrong. We have capacity before things start to go wrong, and and actually, it's about identifying how we can increase that capacity. How do we strengthen? And that may and and that's fundamentally feed our needs, which is where we're, we're talking to there. Um, and and identifying the 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 load, as it were, in this analogy, uh, and and either trying to minimize it or at least manage it so yeah. that it all happen all at the same time and wipe you out. Yeah, no tissue. Yeah, the strength of tissues was um, yeah something relevant to obviously both our professions. And I think the phrase um, that you're referring to, I said that tissues fail at the point where they have absorbed more load than they are able to tolerate for a long enough period of time. Yeah, they, they will fail, and, and we're no different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that... and... No, Becky, you go. Sorry. Uh... I like you you saying there about identifying, you know, actually up front identifying what those those needs are. And, and I, I don't know if you find, but I, I think I've found when I've thought about it, actually, that does reduce that feeling of guilt and of indulgence that, mm. you know, mine, I'm lucky with where I live, but one of mine is being around the ocean. And I, I know that if if I haven't been there for a couple of days that I'm not very happy and and it's always before felt to me like oh come on Becky you know you've got work to do you can't just go and play in the sea um but actually knowing that that's something that keeps me ticking over and that keeps me happy and keeps me able to give almost gives me that permission to to go and do that thing and I I think that's important for us isn't it when we're we're allocating our time that permission words come up again, has it? I mean, frankly, we're such a bunch of saddos, aren't we, that we need permission oh, for all this. Isn't that but awful? We may accept that we do. And <laughs> if we find something that makes it more acceptable to us, then yeah, great. <laughs> like language, language, and and this is this is definitely a tangent. Um, but language is actually really powerful, isn't it, when it comes to this kind of thing? Um, you know, the idea that we need permission. Um, we often fill our vocabulary in in reference to things that we're doing with musts and shoulds uh, as opposed to sort of mays and maybes Um, and and even unconsciously it adds to the pressure to to kind of to do those things or to not do those things oh oh, I shouldn't have that or I shouldn't do this and it's like well actually you you probably should or maybe it's not the best choice today but why not you know it's sort of that that element of um there's a lot of finality, I think, in the language that we use that doesn't help us when, you know, things are not that specific no. <laughs> in general. Another coach put something on uh, online somewhere yesterday. She said, go through your list of shoulds. Um, I should do this. I shouldn't do that. Blah, 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 And change every single one of them to, I decide to yeah. eat well for the next week. Or I decide to improve my sleep. Um, and... Uh, I heard someone else today talking about burnout and how they're always being told that they might burn out, but actually they don't feel they're in danger of it because they enjoy what they do. And yeah. it occurred to me that the the difference is whether there's conscious choice involved in your actions or not. So feeling like you're overworked at the behest of somebody else um, is a lot more tiring, I think, than having chosen activities because you know they fulfill needs in you and, and excite you and, and light you up. Um, you know, I think the chance of burnout is much less if, if there's active choice involved. Absolutely. So, and then in sort of in practical terms then um, for sort of therapists at this time of year and, and therapists of all flavors, but, but, you know, massage therapists in terms of who we're talking about today, then we've got that we should have a wind down phase. Yeah, uh, we should have a period of time when actually we we consciously make the decision to wind down and start reflecting. I mm. think on on what has been, um, and part of that comes into something you've you've touched on previously, which is, is celebrating our wins. Mm. Um, do you mind just touching on that briefly? Sort of why why is that important? So I think celebrating wins is part of the wind down process. Um, particularly this year when there's been so much to talk about in terms of what has gone wrong or not gone how we would have wanted it to go. 
Um, there are so many wins that we can draw on, and um, I, I won't go into it again now, but I, I, I talked about the success within my team as one of the things I really wanted to celebrate this year. And all you're doing is you're giving your brain a little dopamine hit, and you're going, yeah, that, that was good. And you're reminding your brain, you're sending a message um, to calm that little voice that constantly wants the next achievement hit. Um, and the, the imposter voice, if you're familiar with the concept of imposter syndrome. If we don't celebrate what we have achieved, then our brain registers um, a barren desert that needs, uh, needs watering again. Whereas actually, if we, if we celebrate those wins, there's a conscious recognition and it slightly calms that, that little achiever voice, which we all have, you know, it's part of our nature, isn't it? So two things, I think there's that, it, it, um, it registers the good stuff, it gives that dopamine hit. And it also, I think, helps you to identify the things that really are important to you because you tend to remember and celebrate the things that impacted you and meant something to you. And the chances are, if something in the last six months meant something to you and had an impact, it's probably going to be something that will be beneficial to look at incorporating into next year. Certainly we're thinking about anyway. And some of your wins surprise you, I think. Um, you know, maybe some of the things you thought you didn't enjoy, the way you had to cope with them in um, uh, through the COVID period may have made you reframe and think, well, actually that particular aspect of that task, I really do enjoy. Um, I just had to approach it a different way and maybe I'll take that through into my planning for next year. And I wonder, Joe, do you think we have to be careful when we're going through that process of, um, I think this is something I've been guilty of as well in the past, is looking for massive achievements. So yeah. we kind of look back and, and almost go, right, I'm going to I'm going to go through that process Joe talked about of celebrating my wins. Well, hang on a minute. You know, I didn't make a huge amount of profit or I didn't grow my business by 25 percent. And we're looking for those massive things. And maybe sometimes we need to just dial that down a little bit and appreciate that there are lots of wins that might not and, and might also be a little bit left field sometimes not yeah. be those usual things you look for. Absolutely. And um, there's, I mean, yesterday, I, so I've got a 16 year old um, son doing his mocks at the moment. He's a fairly typical 16 year old. Hopefully he'll never hear this because if he knows I've talked about him in public, he will um, leave home. Um, <laughs> but yesterday, um, after, it's, it's a difficult year by the nature of the fact that he's a 16 year old boy and I'm his mum and he's doing his exams. But Yesterday on my birthday, he hugged me and he said, Mum, you're doing a great job at seeing me through year 11. Then he told me the music I was listening to was shit and I could turn it off. But <laughs> <laughs> normal, everything was normal. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that that is actually a massive win. And it's about, as you say, Becky, readjusting your goalposts. So actually, you know, there are all sorts of things that my my achiever brain wants for my son and they go to ridiculous levels if I let them into the future whereas you know, in actual fact if I can just calm my monitor brain down to the point where if he gets through his exams and he's happy and he gets the ticket to whatever he wants the next stage to be that's where my comfort level needs to be so the win at the moment is that he is happy at the moment and that needs to be celebrated so in terms of thinking a bit practically now, so mm. regular regular um, listeners are, are aware that we we do something called theory to practice, where we try and take an element of what we've discussed and talk about how we might be able to apply that in in clinic the next day, typically. Um, now, what we're actually talking about today is less to do with clinical practice and more to do with um well well-being uh, mm. and looking at yourself as a therapist and so if we sort of think about looking ahead uh into next year um when we when we've gone through our period of wind down what sort of practical things can can therapists be doing you you have a sort of an, a slight alternative to a planning process mm. don't you yeah it's a sort of well i call it a backwards planning process but actually it's based on a 
um, a method I was taught by my coaching organization um, and it, its actual name is soft power planning um, and there's a whole explanation behind that name so I won't go into that now but what you're essentially doing is you're creating a vision and then working backwards from it so um, I, I actually was and still am quite a resistant planner um, I don't write lists uh, I didn't used to like being asked at parties what I was going to do in 10 years time. I felt like I didn't know what I was doing in 10 minutes time. Um, but actually, this process helps me to know what I'm doing in 10 minutes time. And the point is to create something that's so inspiring that it keeps drawing you forward for long enough and it keeps inspiring you for long enough, as opposed to the short wins that we tend to set up for ourselves or what we perceive will be short, quick wins around New Year, usually based on some external factor that happens to be important to us on about the 27th of December um, and but doesn't really have any you know even if we do what we say we're going to do it doesn't have any great importance for us and it isn't going to keep drawing us forward for very long probably just until the next box of chocolates comes in mid-January or something um, so the point is that it doesn't matter how far in the future that vision is it could be um, this time next year, it could be five years, it could be 10 years, it depends on the magnitude of the thing you're thinking about. But the most important thing is to give it enough time. So create a vision of how you are going to be at this point in the future. What are you going to be doing? Who's going to be around you? What's it going to feel like to be you at that time? If it was a picture, put loads of colour in it. And I'm speaking metaphorically, but you could draw it if you want to. Um, make it as detailed um, and as clear in your mind as you can and make sure that it it's the right vision so when you think about it there's got to be an element of joy and pleasure that bubbles up inside you okay because it's got to be a strong enough draw so what you do then is you ask yourself a series of questions and you you imagine that you're actually out there let's say five years time living your vision okay you are that person that you've created in your mind so you say to yourself, where I am now, what was I doing 12 months after December 2020 in order to be on the path to where I have now got to? And then you know, there'll be a series of things in place. I don't know, it might be that I bought a new house or I had started a new job or whatever. So just some fairly concrete things. And at this stage, they're still quite broad in terms of, of goals. And then you ask yourself the same question in order to have got to that point at 12 months, where would I have needed to be nine months from December 2020? Then you go back six months and three months. So you get to the point where three months from now, so looking into spring next year, you have a very clear set of criteria of, of, of what needs to be in place. And that's when action starts to come in because visions are lovely. Um, and depending on your personality, I, I could spend hours creating visions and mood boards and all the rest of it. I'm, I'm definitely a natural blue sky thinker. <laughs> Sometimes it's the actual bringing it into action that, that I struggle with. But with this clear idea, okay, in three months, I'm telling myself these things need to be in place and they're still enticing because they still relate to that wonderful vision. They're not things to beat myself over the head with. They're things that are going to lead me to that, that place I really want to be. So what does that mean I need to be doing next month? And what do I need to be doing next week? And what is the one thing I could do tomorrow that will start me off on that path? And it might be pick up the phone and talk to Max Scarsbrook about some crazy idea I've got. All right. But it's it's a specific action. And you know, even for someone like me who doesn't like planning, that then becomes manageable. And the flip side is also sometimes when you go through that process, you, you get people to talk through the three months and there's so much in that three month period it, they realize actually that's completely unachievable so i've got to shift some of those things into the six month and the nine month mark and it, it makes everything clear and that the path is laid out but the, the overriding point is it's always leading to that vision which you created and is your vision and it excites you so much that it's going to keep drawing you on for long enough as it helps reduce the uh, the risk of becoming overwhelmed by the 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 gulf between now and the vision as well, yes. which is definitely something that uh, I suffer from periodically. You know, I've I've got things that I'd love to do for for my clients and and for the community, and I look at them, I go, I have no idea how I go from here today to there tomorrow. You know, there uh, over over the time period. But, <clears throat> 
<clears throat> but breaking things down into small steps is it does make it far less overwhelming yeah. and if it is a big project there's also that tendency isn't there to do a million things in the first week and exhaust yourself yeah. um, and never finish any of them <laughs> no exactly <laughs> That, that I love the fact that as well, like you say, that you, you can tie that into um, when you do that process of identifying your wins. Actually, what was it that you got to the end of the year that that did give you that buzz? And then thinking, mm. OK, if I need something that's still going to excite me in five years time, those are the things that meant something to me after 12 months. Yeah. So how do I sort of because it's so easy, isn't it? I think whether it's because we don't enjoy the process or or it's just easier it's it's so easy to default to those um like you say those, those kind of uh, i don't know what i'm trying to say sorry those quite standard goals if, if that hmm. makes sense of you know okay i'm, I'm gonna have this many clients i'm gonna have this many clinics so you know and and they're not exciting no. <laughs> necessarily oh you know it's very difficult to stay motivated for that isn't it so i yeah. i really like that idea of actually you have to go through a process of finding out what what fires you up yes it's um sorry matt go on no, no, you could. Sorry, Joe, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I've been asked quite a lot recently about my thoughts around the differentiation between mentoring and coaching, and then that isn't that point isn't relevant to this conversation. But I've come up with a little definition for myself that mentoring is deciding what you want to do and how you're going to do it. Coaching is around working out who you want to be and why. And the traditional goal setting is all about deciding what you want to do and how you're going to do it. But without the understanding who you want to be and why you want to be it, you run out of motivation pretty quickly. And you know, it may well be that you need 50 new patients in the next three months, but that needs to be because it leads you to be the type of clinician that you want to be and, and you know the reason why you want to be that type of clinician. Therefore, those 50 patients need to fit a certain criteria. You, you, can, you can get really stuck in lots of um, hamster on the treadmill doing without ever really understanding why and but the why will come and get you because the why is the thing that makes you stop and feel disillusioned and and think oh can i keep doing this and that's what the vision is about that that's putting the purpose and the being and the why into what you're doing yeah tom colwell who uh, came on our final lockdown lunch actually um spoke uh to that as well actually this this idea of identifying uh, it depends how you want to phrase it your your brand who is you know who is brand you um and and, and uh, which is obviously quite an external thing you know how how should people perceive you but but to be able to do that and come up with something that is meaningful you have to know who you are and what makes you tick um and you know talking from from personal experience that is one of the hardest things to do and probably one of the things that we spend the least amount of time considering um you know when when you set up your brand as a business um is it you've just found cool words or a color scheme or or, or is it that you've, you've genuinely sat down and you've identified this is me through and through like this business is representative of what i want to do and trying to put a bit of a positive spin, I suppose, on this year and, and the circumstances under which massage therapists found themselves. What I hope, and it won't apply to everyone because circumstances have been all over the shop, but what I hope is that some people have, have had the opportunity to discover things that they like doing and things that they definitely don't like doing that they would never have explored had it not been for lockdown. So I'm sure that there are umpteen parents out there who have decided that not being a teacher was the right choice and yet there will be a number of therapists who have gone actually you know uh, teaching wasn't so bad maybe i actually quite enjoy imparting knowledge um that there'll be people who have gone, <laughs> personally no i'm trying to be but equally, there'll be people out there who who finally sat down and actually started looking at their marketing and have realized they have a real passion for or, or interest in digital marketing or creativity that they just didn't have time to do when they were doing 10-hour days mm -hmm. in clinic. Um, and, and and maybe that leads leads to somewhere, you know, as, as you said, and Becky picked up on this, this 
you know, what is it? What are my wins? What have I enjoyed? What can I build upon? Um, I, I think, you know, and, and even on a clinical basis, something that's, that's stood out to me is because certain of my client base had to shield and I couldn't see them, it made me realize how much I enjoy working with that particular client base. Right. And, 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 and it's kind of, you know, I, when they're in the mix, then it's just a good day when I see one, but I haven't necessarily drilled down to go, well, why was it a good day? Mm. And actually when I've gone, oh, it's a good day because I've worked with the type of client that actually really gets me going. Yeah. That's quite nice as well. And it means that on reflection, I can think maybe I want to just fine tune what I do and who I work with in order just to keep getting that, that feel Absolutely. good. Yeah, totally agree. And, and without that process of almost, uh, removing and then reselecting certain clients it, it just becomes this melee of, of clients doesn't it and you probably never even considered that there was a difference between the ones that you have found you particularly enjoy treating and not absolutely so just respectful of your of your time today joe then so in sort of a summary what would be kind of those the key things that we've discussed today that you would want people to to go away and and be considering perhaps over the longer term and then that kind of thing that they could, you know, sit down and do, do tomorrow once they've found some time. Yeah, sure. So I, I think we've talked broadly around three stages, haven't we, of um, uh, slowing down, acknowledging and celebrating wins, and then looking at what you want to take from that to carry forward from next year. So I, you're, yeah, you're, what can you do tomorrow? Um, you could look at your diary over the time between now and Christmas um, and just look at it and think, does that look like a slowing down diary or is it a winding up diary? How am I going to feel when I get to the 23rd, 24th of December? Um, and be really strict with yourself. That we always think that everything in our diary is, is absolute and must happen. But I guarantee there will be things in that diary every single day that could be shifted or changed or altered or even cancelled so if necessary i would um, do some culling of your diary and then look at what you could build in that just speaks to this idea of shifting what's what's going on in your head at the moment i mean is there one practice uh, you know, a, a, a walk at the end of the day um a 10 minute meditation, whatever, is there, is there one thing that you can bring in that will just shift you onto a different path than the one that you perhaps were heading um, towards Christmas and, and the end of the year on? That would be my advice. Think about those three stages and then start looking at the next couple of weeks and just see if you can introduce that winding down process. That's lovely. And, and so without yeah, diving too deeply. Uh, what have you got coming up? What are, what are you hoping to do as, as part of your wind down? Uh, and then just as importantly, where can people find out a little bit more about you and, and, and the work that you're doing? Okay, well, um, I actually went through that process that I've just described, and I've made some conscious choices to delay the start of some really exciting things. And that I decided if they didn't happen on January the 1st, then you know, I'd failed some internal test um so i've given myself permission to push those forward so that um i can i can let myself off some of the frantic preparation phase that would necessarily have happened had to happen in, in december so that sort of conscious winding down um i have upped my my nature appreciation i've been taking a lot more photos um, and I've been slowing down. There's some amazing skies at the moment. So I've been consciously stopping and looking at those. So just you know, mindfulness, really just introducing more of that into into my regular routine. Um, and what was the other question? Oh, where can people get me? <laughs> um, so I am um, most active on LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me there. I'm a little bit active on Twitter, but I've had massive Twitter fear until recently. I'm just starting to um, feel a little bit braver about that. So yes, talk to me on Twitter, and, and um, you'll be you'll be aiding my therapy as well. <laughs> so yeah, those those two um, uh, platforms really, LinkedIn and Twitter. Well, thank you 
ever so much for coming in and talking to us uh, this afternoon. Uh, it's been what I hope will be for, for people a really lovely episode to, to help them reflect on this year, the good and the bad, uh, but hopefully give them some really uh, solid uh, foundations for next year which is is not going to be easy to start with so we need to be able we need to to look after ourselves and be in a really good place to uh, to get get stuck in so thank you so much for joining us oh, thank you for having me it's been really really good fun chatting to you both thank you thanks joe <laughs>